0: Let's pray in light of those words that we were singing. Lord, we do gather here today and so many of these songs we sing in faith. Faith that you're doing a work in us, that you've begun this work and you're going to complete this work in us. Lord, we sing in faith, believing that you can use us in this world. Lord, we sing in faith, believing that you can enable us to put the death sin in our lives and you can help us to walk in righteousness and live for the glory of your great name. Lord, we sing in faith because we believe in you. We believe that you are at work. And as we open up your word, you're going to work in us so that we can leave here and you can work through us into the lives of those who are in our, in our world in which we live. So Lord, we want to give this time to you and pray that you would work for the glory and honor of your great name. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's open up our Bibles to Luke 19. We're going to be in verses 11 through 27 this morning. I really am grateful as well for all the work that the interim deacon team is doing. We call them the interim deacon team because we vote on officially officers in June, and so that will be happening officially at that point. Um, Many of them will be staying on. We'll be adding others to that team. Very grateful for what they're doing in so many different areas. Also grateful for the overseers, and we're coming up to a big transition time. The search committee is getting closer to... Um, a single candidate that they'd like to bring to this congregation, so hopefully they'll be getting there soon. We've got some overseers that are rolling off and just want to let you know that because of this transition time, we've also are in the process of inviting some overseers on. And again, interim type role, they won't be officially overseers for us until we have our June election of officers. But Scott Himes, who is just leading us, Evan Thibodeau, right over here, they have met with us already. Because we do want to set forth a vision in the days ahead. And we want to make sure we have momentum in doing this. And so it's been fun to be meeting with each one of these men. I want to encourage you to be a part of the park day, supper groups. We need to get to know each other. And so that we can be a part of what God is doing in the days ahead in this church. Luke 19 is a passage that can be difficult for us to work through. Verses 11 through 27 is where we're going to be today. I think I shared with you once before, maybe not, but I was reminded of it recently when I saw these running shoes that I have out in the garage. And I was looking them over, and when I went to buy these running shoes, it was at a snail's pace in Brea, and they wanted to video me on a treadmill running. And they did that for a reason they wanted to find out how my feet landed on the treadmill. So I get done with my little test, and the man says, You don't run correctly. And I remember just taking a little offense to that. I mean, how do you not run correctly? You just start moving your feet forward and you keep running at a faster pace and you just do it. No one teaches you how to walk or run. It just happens, and so he made me run in the store and he kept giving me instructions about how to run properly. I never got it. I would practice when I was running, but You can continue to do things incorrectly, and maybe there's little harm to it. I I don't think that causes any problems for me. I also did some research this past week. Did you know that you can brush your teeth incorrectly? Now you go to your dentist and he tells you how to do all this. And but one of the things I learned about brushing your teeth, is this of interest to you, brushing your teeth? You, You need to know these kind of things. This is why these are important things. But when you brush your teeth. If you brush your teeth too quickly after eating, it's not good for you. Now that goes against everything that I've ever thought about brushing. You get food in your mouth, you should clean it out right away. But when you eat certain acidic foods, it begins to break down the enamel on your teeth. And if you brush right away, you have a tendency to brush that enamel right off. You should wait a little bit before you brush your teeth. Now flossing, which I never do, true confessions, you should do immediately. Over here, too, others are just joining in with that. I hate flossing. It hurts. Why do it? I'm not sure what it accomplishes anyway. But anyway, you should floss immediately, but you should not brush necessarily immediately. All right, how about this? When you brush your teeth and you've got that toothpaste all in your mouth, and when when I rinse, I mean, I just slosh that stuff around in my mouth and spit it out. That's bad for you. What in the world? I mean, how's that bad for you? You actually should leave some of the paste in your mouth. You should do a loose spit and let some of it remain on your teeth because it's actually good for you. I mean, this is just crazy stuff. How about breathing? You know that you could be breathing improperly right now? Most of us are chest breathers and we should be stomach breathers. Now, especially when you're in front of people, you don't want anything to happen to your stomach. You want it all to stay in. But you should breathe through your stomach. Babies do it. And somewhere along the way, we undo that, and we begin to be more of chest breathers. But chest breathing tends to upset your blood's oxygen and carbon dioxide balance. It can lead to headaches, fatigue, anxiety, even panic attacks. So look at that list right there. If you're suffering with some of those, maybe what you just need to do is learn to breathe. You're breathing in properly. It can also improve your exercise performance and decreases shortness of breath. It's even linked to lower blood pressure. You want to get that blood pressure down? Start breathing with your chest. No, that's wrong with your stomach. See, you got to see if you're paying attention with me or not. You got to breathe with your stomach. Now, as we look at each one of these, perhaps you're like me and you struck out on every one of them. Every one of them you've done wrongly, including the flossing part. Those things have not really affected my life that much. I think I could breathe my very last breath with a clear understanding that my life has not been less than what it should have been because I brushed my teeth right after I ate instead of waiting a little bit longer. But there are certain things that, that can affect the full effect of not living properly can have an effect when we get to the end of our days. And our passage today is one of those passages that forces us to think about that. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And that's what Luke has been teaching us. Luke has been teaching us, we either have our hands on the plow or we don't. Using the words of Michael Thigman, I've just been borrowing these over and over. I think you're the ones that, you're the one that use them. We are to live under the rule and reign of Jesus or not. Jesus' priorities become our priorities or, or they're just not. And we come to a passage today that forces us to think through this. In some ways that I think could be really important for us. So let me read through these verses. And then we'll consider them as we want to work our way through them. Verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem. Because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. "'and said to them, "'Engage in business until I come.' "'But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, "'saying, "'We do not want this man to reign over us.' "'When he returned, having received the kingdom, "'he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money "'to be called to him, that he might know "'what they had gained by doing business. "'The first came before him, saying, "'Lord, your mean has made ten minas more.' "'And he said to him, "'Well done, good servant,' Because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina's made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have at least collected it with interest. He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has 10. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them? Bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, this could be a difficult parable for a number of different reasons. There was a few weeks back when I preached and the most commentaries agreed it was the most difficult passage in the book of Luke. Now, we have the most difficult parable. How do I always get these weeks? I don't know why, but they're coming my way. And this could be the most difficult parable and there's a lot of different ways that have been proposed as how to understand it. Now, my goal this morning is not to tell you there's 30 different ways. My goal is to explain to you what I think the Lord wants us to hear this morning. But let's look, first of all, at, the, at just the context, the setting of the parable. And as he heard these things, and so we've got this moment with Jesus and Zacchaeus in the verses that precede this. And he proceeds to tell them a the parable because he was near Jerusalem. So this is why... Um, Luke has made it very clear along the way, and we're going to look more closely at this next week, this focus on Jerusalem throughout the book. But he's now near Jerusalem. We know that he's in Jericho. That's been the context of all these verses leading up. You can look back in chapter 19, verse 1, he entered Jericho. So there are little ways from Jerusalem at this point. Jesus is slowly coming to those last days of his ministry. And so as he comes there, um, he's got some words for them because, why? Why? They supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And again, this is a really important um, concept for us to understand. When, as they began to understand that Jesus is Lord, that he is Messiah, they expected the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. They're underneath Roman rule, and but now when the king of kings comes, the Messiah himself, he's going to knock away the Romans. He's going to establish his kingdom on earth, and that's what the disciples are excited about. I mean, you can even see that throughout um, his journey with them in Luke. And then even after Jesus rises from the dead and he's explained everything to them, the Son of Man had to suffer, die, be buried, rose again. Even before he ascends, the disciples say to him, well, okay. We get all that. Now is the time that you're going to establish your kingdom. I mean, they're still looking for it in Acts chapter 1. And so they're expecting this. So Jesus now gives this parable, and it really begins to set forth for us the already not yet of the kingdom. The nobleman, that king who's right in front of him, is going to go away to a distant country, and he's going to receive his kingdom and then come back. And what he asks of his servants in that meantime is, faithfulness. And so Jesus already is beginning to set forth before the disciples this idea of Him going away and then coming back one day. And in that interim period, they are to be faithful. And so even as Jesus lays that out for the disciples, this is a truth for us as well. I mean, where is Jesus now? Well, He's seated on His throne in the heavens. And what does He ask of us now? He asks of us our faithfulness in following Him. And so that's the setting of this kingdom. There's a lot of different verses we could look at in Luke about this already, not yet, um, perspective of the kingdom. But let's look at this parable for just a moment. Anytime you look at a parable, and we've looked at a number of them in Luke, you never want, a, you never want to allow a parable to have more voice than it needs to have. The Parables are trying to make a point. And so you don't want it to make... 50 different points you literally want to try to focus in and the different characters in the parable the different actions in the parable you don't want to just try to find hang something on every single person and every single thing that happens you want the parable to speak for itself and so when we look at this particular parable we need to make proper connections to our real life so that we can understand what's actually being said And so the focus of this particular parable, just as we read through it, is how the servants engage the business of their master, how they handle his money while he has gone away to receive this kingdom. So let's think about the connecting points with the characters first. And then secondly, let's think about connecting points with the attitudes or actions of the characters. So first of all, the characters, connecting points. In verse 12, it says, a nobleman. And so here we've got this nobleman, and we're going to see in this particular parable, this nobleman represents Jesus, who in fact is going to go away. He's seated on his throne right now, and one day he's going to come back and establish his kingdom. And so this gives us that already, not yet, of the kingdom. The nobleman, Jesus, is going to go away, and then he's going to come back. Verse 13, we also have some servants. So he calls 10 of his servants to be with him. And these servants are going to represent the disciples, who are responsible to Jesus. And so Jesus is going to go away. These servants are responsible to this king. Who's gone away in this interim period. And he gives them some business to do. And so he gives them some minas. And these, each mina represents 100 drachmas. Which is a day's wage. And so this is 100 days of wages. What we have going on. That he's given each one of these servants. And so there is to be a stewardship There's a responsibility to conduct business in the master's absence. And so this engaging in business represents the disciples, us, our responsibility to be in service to the one we follow as we await his coming. And then in verse 14, we also have some citizens. But his citizens hated him. And these citizens are the Jews or especially the leadership. As we slowly move through each one of the Gospels, there's an intensification of conflict between Jesus and especially the Jewish leadership. But these citizens are those who are rejecting Jesus. John 1.11 tells us he came unto his own, the Jews, and they received him not. They rejected him. And so, in this parable, we understand these citizens are those who reject Jesus. So, those are the connecting points with the characters Now, what about the actions or the attitudes that are reflected in this particular parable? There are two main attitudes, actions in this parable. Let's look at the second one first because we want to camp in on the first first one a little bit more. The citizens, okay, those who reject Jesus, do not acknowledge the nobleman's reign over their lives. And therefore, they disregard his purposes. They do not live under the rule and reign of Jesus and so they disregard him. Look at verse 14 where we see this get brought out. But his citizens hated him. They opposed him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. In verse 27, we also see a reference to them. But as for these enemies of mine. That's who these citizens are. They don't want the rule and reign of Jesus. They oppose him. They are enemies of him. They do not acknowledge his reign and they disregard his purposes. They don't want Jesus's reign. And so eventually they're going to be destroyed at the end. And we need to realize, we're going to talk about this more in just a little bit. This is actually what's going to happen to everyone who rejects Jesus. There's going to be a destruction That happens at the end. And so we want to revisit that in just a moment. But that's the first attitude. Rejection of the rule and reign of Jesus. Therefore they're destroyed at the end. But the the second connecting point with attitudes and actions is found with the servants. There are certain servants who acknowledge the rule and reign of the nobleman. And they are charged with continued um, stewardship of his work and are rewarded for this. And so certain servants are are given this responsibility. They acknowledge the rule and reign of the nobleman, and therefore they engage in his business so that when he returns, they can give an accounting to him. So we see this in verse 13. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them to Minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. And so we we simply understand the connection to the disciples' lives, the connection to our lives, is to be following the, the ultimate charge, the calling of our master in our lives. That's the engaging in business. We're engaging in the business of the Great Commission, taking the gospel to the ends of the world. world. In verse 15 and following, we also see that when they return, when, when the nobleman returns after receiving the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained. And so when the nobleman returns, the servants are examined. And, and the focus is their faithfulness. Did they carry out? The, the nobleman does not seem to distinguish between the one who has a return of 10 minas versus the one who has five. Both of them are rewarded for their work. But the focus seems to be their faithfulness in actually carrying out the charge that's been given to them. It's not a competition here. And so, but what we do see even though there were ten servants, only three are focused on in this particular parable. So ten are given the minas, but only three are responded to. Because that's all that's necessary to actually make the point of the parable. So in verses 16 and 17, we have the first servant, and he gives ten minas back. I mean, that's a thousand percent profit that's made. And so he's very faithful. He receives the, the remark from the nobleman, well done, and then he's given a prominent role when this new kingdom has come in. He's actually given um, some more authority and leadership. You have authority now over 10 cities, it says in verse 17. And then we have the second slave. There's a 500% prof- prophet in, in verses uh, 18 and 19. And so he comes and he's got the five minas, 500% profit. And so the Lord says then, we don't see the words, well done, but I think you can imply that from this. The nobleman is excited about what this particular servant is bringing him. And he puts him over five cities at that point. So it seems to be the focus here on these first two servants is those who are carrying out their responsibility and stewarding what's been entrusted to them. But then we have in verse 20, then another came. And this is going to be a different scenario here. This other servant comes and there's a 0% profit in this one. And he begins to talk about who the nobleman is and he characterizes him. He underscores what he sees as his attitude, his disposition, the way he approaches life. Matthew 25 has a similar parable and it adds the word lazy to this particular indictment on this man. So when the nobleman responds to him... He says in verse, uh, let's see where it is. Where's the word uh, wicked? In there. And he says those. He said uh, 22. Thank you very much. There it is right there. You wicked servant. Matthew 25 adds, and lazy servant to that. And so even when you look at some of the background of this, when you realize in this particular culture, there were some, who, there were very few that had the wealth. And so as a result, when very few have the wealth, when you loan money out, you can charge exorbitant interest rates and make a good return on your money. And that's the point here. Why didn't you at least do that? You could have made a good return on your money. And so the, the rabbis, even in response to this, would note that this particular servant was careless and irresponsible Because he at least could have done something like that. Now, why were this last servant's actions different? That's what we want to look at. Because this is where the focus of the parable resides, is with this last servant. Why were his actions different? Well, because of the way he viewed the nobleman. The way he characterized him. He claimed to fear the ruler, whom he understood to be severe, one who takes what he did not plant one who takes what he does not work for. So in the end, the nobleman turns those words back on him and, and judges him by his own words. He indicts himself, so to speak. See, ultimately, in, in this particular parable, we don't have clear instructions about what they were supposed to do. They were simply given the minas and told to go engage in business. But we do know that when the nobleman calls them to account, he wants to see what they had gained And we do know that his indictment to this last servant is at least you could have gained in this kind of way. In other words, what they've been given, they are to steward. And there's to be results for that in the life that that they live. But in this particular parable, two get it right and one doesn't. And that's the contrast we have here. Two actually steward what's been given to them and there's results from their life. One does not. And so therefore there's a consequence To that particular one. In other words, two know the nobleman. And they know his agenda. They have put their hands to the plow and they don't look back. And there's one who thinks he knows the nobleman, but he doesn't actually. And so there's a consequence to his life. See, the big picture here is simply this. Jesus is coming back. And he's given all of us a clear agenda. That's why we work through books like Luke. What is our calling? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? See, Jesus has given that clear agenda. And we're to be building up the church. We're to be taking the gospel to the world. Jesus makes that very clear to us. Are we stewarding that in a way that brings honor and glory to him? See, in this particular parable, there are three groups that most people would point to. There are those who reject Jesus. Well, they're destroyed. Those who, who rebel against the Father, never turning to Him through the gift of His Son Jesus, will be put away. They will be destroyed. There's a second group, those who follow Jesus, but do not truly know Him or live according to His agenda. And there's, this is where different, trans, or different interpretations of this parable may vary one would say they were never truly followers of of the the nobleman they did not know him they did not know his agenda they did not put their hands to the plow and others would say they did know the nobleman but they did not carry out his agenda therefore they lose reward in the end now regardless of what view you take there here's the point of the parable you don't want to be that servant See, that's why it ultimately doesn't matter that we just split all these hairs on this. You don't want to be that servant. Instead, you want to be the servant, the two servants who model for us, those who follow Jesus, those who know Jesus, those who steward what Jesus has given us for His glory, for His name's sake. And we count every moment on this earth as an opportunity to be a steward of what He's given us. That song we were just singing Um, I always forget words, especially when I'm going to point to a song that we were just singing. But here it goes. It's it's his breath in our lungs. So what do we do? We pour out our praise to him. Why? Because it's his. He, He gives this to us. This is stewarding. When God gives us breath, what do we do? We steward that by giving praise and glory to him. But James makes it very clear, out of the same mouth can come not just praise, but evil as well. That's not stewarding. And so we are to be these kind of people that steward for the nobleman or steward for the master. And this particular parable actually has a point to it in verse 26. Look what it says there. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And in the parallel parallel parable, that's a mouthful. In the parallel parable, it, it even says, back in Luke, there's a similar kind of teaching. What he thinks he has will be taken away. And I think that's going to become important for us in just a moment. But what the nobleman Jesus is saying here is is the one who stewards faithfully, there's going to be a gain for that eternal reward that's going to be out there. The one who does not steward faithfully, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Now, whether that's someone, that person did not know Jesus, therefore he's cast away like the citizens, or there's simply a loss of reward for that person, no matter what, we don't want to be in that category. Jesus tells us, All of this, he's telling this particular parable because they're coming to this point in his ministry where he's gonna go to the cross, he's gonna be buried, he's gonna raise again, then he's gonna send to the Father and he's letting the disciples know in that interim period, I'm calling you to faithfulness. Remember Jesus' last words, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth and I send you out to all the nations, baptize them, teach them and I'm gonna be with you to the end. And he's going to want them to steward that. And so he gives them this little reminder about stewardship as he's starting to come to that point. They think the kingdom's going to come. It's not going to come right away. There's going to be an interim period, disciples, to steward what the Lord gives to you. And that same call is there for us today that we are to be stewards. Well, coming out of this passage, let me give us three points that I want us to ponder just for a little bit. This is my first point. We must recognize, and we have said this a hundred times. Whoever's been standing up here, we've said it so many times. We must recognize that Jesus and His work in this world is to be the center of our lives, the focus of our activity. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to live under his rule and reign. His priorities are our priorities. And so we look at our, our day timer, our agenda, our week at a glance, whatever it might be. When we think about every breath that we have in our lungs, it's from him, and we are to steward all of that for his honor and his glory. Now think about how your breath has been used this past week. If your breath is like mine, there are certain moments you would not want other people to know about and so we were to be stewarding it all for the lord in, in in this parable life is all about the nobleman he's gone away but life is still all about him and so every day these these servants looked at the meanings that were in their charge and they were constantly doing service for because he was going to come back and they wanted to be able to present this to him we need to know what Jesus' and Jesus' concern, Jesus's concerns are. And that's why we gather together. That's why we study God's word. Because we want to know what the call on our life is. But we also need to heed the warning of James. Don't just be hearers of the word. Actually be doers of the word in your life as well. And so week after week, we can take in all of this knowledge, but what do we do with it? I mean, how many times have we heard sermons on, we need to be proclaiming the gospel to people who are lost, and we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, but do we do it? And so we've got to be the kind of people who realize that we've been giving and we are to be a steward of this. And we also need to understand that as we steward it in this life, there's reward that comes our way as well. There's reward that comes our way. And so one of the concerns in this parable, as I was thinking through this, is that other servant, the third one who comes. See, this other servant created his own agenda. So let's just imagine for a second, one interpretation of this parable, that this third servant is A follower of Jesus just misses out on his agenda. He gets in by the skin of his teeth into heaven, but there's loss of reward. Let's just imagine that for a moment. The tragedy of his life is he created his own agenda. And I wonder how much that actually takes place in the church, where we are a follower of Jesus, but we disregard what his word says, we create our own agenda. And when we follow a Jesus to our liking, not a Jesus who asks us to take up our cross, but a Jesus who gives everything to us, and we fabricate, create our own agenda, and we stick to it till our dying breath. That's the agenda we hold on to. You see, if I run incorrectly, that does not have eternal consequences. But if I reject Jesus' agenda and create my own agenda and I stand before him and find out that was the wrong agenda, that does have eternal consequences. And so there's loss of reward as a result of that. And so again, Luke 8:18 8, 18 says, even what he thinks he has, he's lost. And I wonder if we're at a place like this in the church today where we're slowly creating our own agenda. We're slowly squeezing Jesus' agenda to the side and making it our own, just fabricating our own. And that's what we call Christianity. And that's what we call living for Jesus. But we have so watered it down that it's almost meaningless in the end. All we're doing is taking that meaning and, and tucking it away in a little handkerchief. And what we bring to Jesus in the end is, is next to nothing. Are are we at a place, I'm not talking about just this church, I'm talking about in the church as a whole, have we so squeezed down what it means to put our hands through the plow that it requires nothing of us? And we don't even have to think of Jesus throughout the week, we just show up on Sunday morning, Maybe do our little service thing and then we leave and then we go our merry way and live like we want because we've got our own agenda that we've fabricated. And that's what we're looking forward to. And that's what we're living for. And when we come to the end, we find out wrong agenda. See, Jesus is issuing a warning here, ultimately, in this particular parable. I'm going away. I'm going to entrust this to you. What are you going to make of it in the end? So whether saved or not in this, in, for this particular servant in the parable, uh, we want to make sure that we're not this third servant because we want Jesus to really have his way in our lives. Now, we also have to be aware of passages like Ephesians 4, which make it very clear. Paul says there in verses 17 and following, don't walk like the Gentiles. Now, why would Paul say don't walk like the Gentiles? And he explains it in the hardness of their heart, darkness of thinking... Why would Paul say that? Well, it's because one who actually belongs to Jesus can walk that way. It's not a way you want to walk, but you can walk that way. And Paul says, don't do it. And so this third servant very well could be one who was a follower of Jesus, but he was disregarding Jesus' agenda. He was walking like Gentiles were walking. In Hebrews as well, it says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't be entangled by the things of this world. Don't don't let sin weigh you down. And don't let the things of this world weigh you down. Why is the author of Hebrew warning about that? Because it's possible for us to get weighed down by those things. And we get so caught up in our culture and all the entanglements. And we miss out on what Jesus' agenda really is. And I think in this particular parable... If I had one burden that I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart for you, it would be, are you following Jesus' agenda? And when I look at the landscape of the church and I realize the weaknesses in my own life, we're in danger of creating our own agenda. And we, we are making Jesus someone he is not. In his agenda, something that is not his. And we're following it with all of our might. And we're patting ourselves on the back. And when we come to the end of our days, what would Jesus' words be to us? This passage is a warning for us to think about it. Jesus' agenda is before most in our mind, front and center. Is his agenda your agenda? Are you searching his word? I know that Christians today are having a difficulty searching his word because I talk to Christians all the time who are so busy they don't have time to be reading God's word. So busy, they don't have time to spend time in prayer. If we don't have time to be there, guess what we're missing out on? What His call is on our life. Then what are we living for? Well, we're creating something of our own. And that's Jesus' warning here. Second point that I think we could pull out of here is, if we're not faithful followers of Jesus who live for the purposes that He has laid out for us, then there's gonna be loss in his kingdom. And again, there's two different views on this. This one just totally misses out on the kingdom or there's just loss of reward. And so I would ask you to just look at passages like 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15, that does pull out this sense of loss of reward because of a lack of faithfulness. You see, we've got to pay close attention to that in our lives but there will be loss now when you think about loss in the kingdom there's there's possibility for any number of incorrect thoughts but let me highlight two incorrect thoughts you can have when you think about there being the possibility of loss in the kingdom the first incorrect thought would be this it does not matter how i live on earth as long as i have jesus i'm good the way i live every day doesn't really matter i've got jesus that's my fire insurance my hell insurance i know i'm on my way to heaven i'm good You see, with that kind of thinking, it fails to consider the responsibility of our stewardship. That it's not just about hell insurance, it's about living underneath the rule and reign of Jesus. Everything is given to us by Him, and it's to be used for Him. It's the breath that He gives us, and so we pour it out in praise to Him. He wants us to be faithful. That's why Jesus brings up parables like this. There's going to be an interim period, oh, that you'll be faithful. See, the in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter five, you can just hear the heart of God when he says, talking about Israel, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me. And whenever I say that word fear me, what I think of is to live as if God is. And I think Jesus is pouring out this heart to his disciples. Oh, that you would have such a heart in you that you would live as if I am in your everyday life. There could be a loss of reward. The second incorrect thought that I think we could have is I must work extra hard so I can get as much reward as possible. I'm laying it all down, storing up my crowns. That particular kind of thinking fails to consider the reason for our stewardship. It's not about making much of us. It's about making much of Him, the Lamb who was slain, who purchased us with His own blood. It's about making much of Him. It's about magnifying Him. This is much as about being as it is doing. Being a faithful follower of Jesus. We are to live again under his rule and reign. This is about him and what his charge is for our life and what his call is. And faithfully carrying out that duty so that when he comes, he wants to see what kind of profit was there in our lives. What did, we, what did we do as we lived for him? His priorities are to be our priorities. And again, it's not working harder. It's, it's working with intention. It's living with Intention. Simply things like recognizing our breath is to be used to praise Him. Recognizing all the money that we have. I mean, every dime of it is to be stewarded for His purposes. All of our time, and I mean every second of it, is to be stewarded for His purposes. And so, we are to recognize that in our lives. Not only the responsibility of our stewardship, but the reason of our stewardship. Even in second Peter chapter four, um, chapter three, verses 14 through 18, whole chapter three is talking about the coming again. Where's, where's the promise of his coming? Oh, he's not slack concerning his promise. He's coming back, but he's patient, not willing that any should perish. That's the interim period. That's the nobleman being gone, who's going to come back, and we're waiting for that day. And what does Peter say in verses 14 through 18? "Seeing that you know this, be holy. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we are to be doing during this time. Eugene Peterson wrote this book. He called it this, a long obedience in the same direction. And that's what we're to be doing as we await for His coming. So if we're faithful followers of Jesus who live for the purposes He has laid out for us as we await His return, there will be loss in this kingdom if we are not being faithful. The third point, and I just want to put this one out here. I said we were going to look at it. And I want to mention it. We must recognize that the destiny of all people rests in their response to the person of Jesus. The destiny of all people rests in their response to the person of Jesus. And so those citizens that reject the king, ultimately, we live in a world that's hostile. Hostile to Jesus Those are those citizens that reject. We do not want this one to reign over us. And we're called to penetrate those people with the gospel. Not just the United States of America where people have access to the gospel left and right. But to the unreached people of the world who still need a gospel witness. Who still need the Bible translated into their language. Who still need to hear the name Jesus. And God might want to call some of you to invest very specifically in taking that gospel. We're either goers or senders. And so if we're senders, then what God wants us to use is use the money, the time, everything that we have, investing in that, praying for people who are there, giving so people can go there. But ultimately, what they do with Jesus has everything to do with that moment when they stand before him. If they have not bowed the knee, then they will be eternally in torment, separated from Jesus. Now, how many times have I heard those words given to me? And we can numb ourselves to them. But another thing I'm hoping that the Lord will do today is awaken us once again to the necessity of us being faithful stewards of the gospel that he's entrusted to us because people need to hear. People all over the world need to hear. And what are we doing to get that gospel to them? And so we need to consider that as well in this particular parable. It's not just about the stewardship of those servants. There are people who are going to reject Jesus and God calls us to go to them. Jesus does as well. So as we think about this parable, again, the thing that we have to keep in mind is, is partly what we were seeing in earlier. This is not about a certain servant loses salvation because he was unfaithful. When we belong to Jesus, we belong to Jesus. Nobody can take us out of His hand. Nobody. When we belong to Him, we belong to Him. But let me tell you what Luke is trying to make very clear to us When we belong to Him, we live under His rule and reign. When we belong to Him, His priorities become our priorities. When we live under Him, when there are lost people, that's a burden for us. When we belong to Him, we're going to be stewarding everything that He's given to us, which is everything. We're going to be stewarding that for His honor and His glory. So if we belong to Jesus, no one's going to pluck us out of our hands. Amen. But if we belong to Jesus, we're going to be full steam ahead for His purposes in this world. Why? So that we can make much of Him. So that we can magnify Him. Let's just bow our heads. The worship team is going to come up and lead us in some songs. But as they come up, just reflect on your own heart right now. And where you might be with all that. The last thing I'd want you to be doing is beating yourself up for not doing it enough for Jesus. I want you to rest in Jesus and enjoy Jesus. But enjoying the blessing of Jesus also stirs in us a desire to live faithfully for Him. So let God do that work in you. Pray silently for just a moment and then the worship team will lead us in a song.